Welcome to Bible study today. This is Len standing in for Nick, who's not well at the moment, and uh, we hope it gets better soon, but we have a panel of four, including me today, and Lydia, welcome to share with us today in Bible study. Praise God to be here. And we have Ken. Ken, also welcome to join us today. Thank you, Len. It's always a pleasure to be here. And our facilitator is Brenton. And Brenton, I look forward to your facilitating of this particular program. Thank you, Len. I'm going to ask Ken if he would just offer a word of prayer for us before we begin our very important Bible study today. Heavenly Father, it's a pleasure to be here today to put forth your word and to share the special things of the lesson that we're looking at today of Nehemiah. It's just wonderful, Heavenly Father, to have this great opportunity to share this across the airwaves. And we pray for all our listeners that the Holy Spirit may touch their hearts, that their hearts would be open and receptive to the Word of God. We ask this, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I wonder how we react when we get bad news. Because we're studying in our study today the subject of a person in the Bible called Nehemiah. And as you read through the book of Nehemiah, very early in the, in the book, in the first couple of verses, in fact, you realize that the whole of the book is based on some news that he receives in verse 4 of chapter 1. Lydia, I wonder if you could read Nehemiah 1 verse 4, and then we'll just reflect just for a minute on how he responded to this news. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God in heaven. Okay, perhaps we need to backtrack to verse 3 just to find out what he was mourning and fasting about. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, they said to me, so it means uh, Hanani met uh, one of his brothers yes. that came mm -hmm. from Judah who is some other man. And they had a chat together, and they said to me, "Those who survived the exile are and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire." Okay, so here you have a situation. First of all, before we get on to his response, what do we know about Nehemiah? Uh, Len, what can you tell me as to what his position was? Was probably one of the exiled Jews, or at least one of the children of one of the exiled Jews. But he worked for the king. He had a very high position in the royal court. In fact, he was probably the king's confidant because um, his position was cupbearer. And the cupbearer was the one who brought the king what he was going to drink. Not only that, but he was responsible for the king's safety. And I'm not sure if he was the wine taster, but at least he was the cup bearer. So it was his responsibility to um, protect the king against poisoning through wine. And so he was very, very responsible person. And probably there was nobody else in the kingdom who was who had the confidence and the intimacy with the king as Nehemiah did. 
So you would say today, Len, that he had all the inside goss on what was going on. <laughs> Any palace intrigues, anything that were going on, he would know about them. I think that's probably right. Mm. Okay. Ken, what, what, what do you think of when you think of Nehemiah? It's an interesting book, isn't it? And he's an interesting person. Yes, Ken is going to, <coughs> to read us just a little section. It, it bears mention that King Artaxerxes crushed the hope of the return uh, the returnees by stopping the progress of the construction after the people beyond the river complained you'll find that in Ezra 4 this allowed the enemies to destroy the walls of the city again Ezra 4 verse 23 Nehemiah would have heard rumors of such a disaster but he didn't have definite answers until this time mm, thank you Ken this, this king that um Len has so eloquently told us that Nehemiah served was a king who reigned for some 40 years. He seems to have been, uh, by reading the books of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah together, he seems to have been a person who changed his mind fairly frequently. Uh, originally he had told them to go back and build it, then when he got complaints from people there, he reversed that decision and said stop building it. And in Ezra 4.23, which we haven't got time to look up, you find that uh, the governor of Samaria actually came with his troops and forcibly stopped them from building the wall. So this is the situation Nehemiah is, is facing. His brother and others have come back from a trip and they've told him that actually <laughs> things are far worse than you really thought. Len? I think this was Artaxerxes 1. Yes. He actually gave the decree for the... Um, returned Jews who went back to Jerusalem to rebuild to actually set up all the functioning, the, the government functions and so on mm -hmm. of the city. There were two decrees yes. about re uh, rebuilding the temple. That was pretty much completed. But the city itself had not been rebuilt. A lot of people lived around about. They didn't all live in Jerusalem. And they used to come in and um, and after this trouble with the surrounding peoples who complained to the king that um, he was only fostering a, a rebellion by allowing this to happen, the king said, well, hang on, stop. And so here's Nehemiah gets this news back in um, Babylon. Mm-hmm that the building has stopped and the walls are broken down and things are just still a, a ruin. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to jump into somebody else's territory here by saying this, but Nehemiah had this sad news and when he went to the king after receiving the news, he didn't look happy as he usually did. And the king picked up on it, which is probably an important thing here. Uh, I think that's such an interesting uh, story there, Len, because uh, firstly, as we know, and again, we might become this later on, but uh, the king was a pagan king and no interest in Christianity. And here we have Nehemiah, who was a Christian, a chosen man of God, and the king has been helping him, shall we say, up to this point. However, if you put yourself in the king's shoes for a moment, he has many people he has to answer to, and obviously these other uh, officials would have come to him and said, look, uh, you're letting these Jews build this temple, this, uh, sorry, rebuild their city, 
I don't think this is a good idea. So the king has to try and do a bit of a, a balancing act here with many of his people. That's a, that's a good point. Um, certainly, you, you've got a situation here where the king originally, as Len said, gave a decree that they were to go back and, and restore basically the whole functions of uh, the city. What you actually find is that in some places, and it's recorded in the book of Ezra, where his enemies laughed at him and said, basically, if a fox came along and jumped on the wall, it would fall over. In other words, they, they had them in derision. But what's, what's important here is that God was able to work on a king who, shall we say, changed his mind fairly regularly. And I think for us and for our listeners, that's pretty important, isn't it, guys? <laughs> that the God that we serve doesn't change his mind. He is able to work his will out. Lem? He's the same today, yesterday and forever, mm. which is good. Yeah. Because I think of my own situation when I talk to God in prayer and um, I expect to be received by him. But if God was in a bad mood and he said, well, I'm not going to listen to you today or I'm going to give you the opposite of what you ask for, well, I don't know if I would really like a God like that. Mm, mm. But um, it points out the difference between God and mankind. Man is subject to all different yes. influences. Yeah. Whims and fancies. Yes. Mm. But God is the same today, yesterday and forever. I take heart at that. Mm. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Yes. Lydia, you had a comment. Mm. Yes, so Nehemiah was very upset because um, the Jerusalem uh, was still in ruins. Mm -hmm. and, what, um, that, what would that mean? What would it mean for the, the morale of the people? What would it mean for the security of the people to be living in a city with broken down walls and gates? Exactly, it was not safe. Yeah. And uh, another thing is that um, <coughs> For in the in that ancient cultures, it was a disgrace or reproach in sense of a, a, a shame, mm -hmm. and uh, in their culture was based their living was based on a shame and honor system. So also he felt that the people of God were not meant to be in this disgrace yes. and shame Very because God promised to His people mm -hmm. that if as it says here in verse 8, but um, if they will return to God and obey my commandments, even if they will be exiled somewhere else in a, in a further horizon, God promised that I will gather them from there. <coughs> and Nehemiah was so upset that, as I, say, as I read before in verse 4, he sat down and wept and he said that mm -hmm. I mourned and fasted and prayed. And if we go back in history, we found out that he mourned in this way for four months, that's more correct. than four months. That's, that's right. So he mourned and prayed, mm -hmm. mourned and prayed. And after that long period of time, he, the king uh, saw his face sad yes. 
and he encountered and co- uh, talked to him. Mm-hmm. So the story starts from now on. So in this period of his mourning and fasting mm-hmm. and, you know, throwing all himself in front of God with everything and also he asked for forgiveness of himself and yes. all the people, mm-hmm. God worked in this time in King's heart and changed his heart mm-hmm. towards his plan. Lidgy, you've touched on some very important points. Uh, Len, you had a comment. As I was going to say, not only was the city that meant so much to the Jews, Jerusalem, still in ruins, but um, it was more important than that. You know, many, no, I won't say many, but some religious groups have what they regard as a holy, holy place. Yes. The Muslims, they like to go to Mecca. They must make a pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in their lives. That is the focal point of their religious practice. And the focal point of the the Jews was, of course, Jerusalem, and in particular the temple. But the city was called the Holy City. And here was the city which meant so much to them, just a tumble-down wreck. Mm. In other words, it was dishonouring God, wasn't it, Len, yes. by, by what you had here? Correct. And what, what's interesting here, I see in, uh, we haven't even got to looking at his prayer properly, but we won't read the whole prayer through. I would like, Ken, can you read verses 8 to 10 of Nehemiah chapter 1? I want to get to the, um, there was intercession. Uh, earlier on, he mentions the sins of the people. He mentions the sins of himself and his family. Now, it has been a Bible commentators suggest that he knew of the prayer of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. And this is virtually identical. When you read the two prayers, there are some remarkable similarities between the two prayers. Daniel identifies himself with his people. He doesn't say, they have sinned, Lord. Look upon me, I'm doing a good job. He said, we have sinned, Lord. We have done wrong. We have acted corruptly. Ken, can you read verse 8 to 10 for us, thanks? And this is uh, Nehemiah 1. Nehemiah 1, verse Um, 8 to 10. Just the concluding parts of his prayer, because there are some very important points here. Uh, I'm just reading from the King James Version, and uh, starting at verse 8. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations, But if you turn on to me and keep my commandments and do them, though they were of you cast out on to the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them into the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by the great power and by thy strong hand. The last couple of words that you read are very significant. By thy great power and thy strong hand. Do you know where you find this terminology? Let's go over to uh, the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 32 and verse 11, Len, could you read that one for us? Moses is reminding God that these are his people. This is after they were dancing around the golden calf and doing various other things, and God said, basically, I'm going to design them. And uh, Moses is reminding God of his promises and 
Nehemiah is doing exactly the same. Lynn, what mm. can you share with us just by way of comparison? Well, I think it's a good thing to remind God of his promises. Does that mean he forgets? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, um, but Moses sought the favour of the Lord his God. Oh, Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Can you see some similarities between the two? Oh, yes. Um, it's This is Exodus language that Nehemiah is using here. As you say, Lydia, uh, Lydia he's had four months of fasting and praying and um, prostrating himself before God, and it seems as though his prayers are going no higher than the roof of wherever he's living, because nothing appears to be happening. What we do learn here, I believe, is that God's timing is always perfect. Yes. When God acts... It's always at the right time. And our biggest problem, I think, in life is, is trying to get in tune with God's timing and say, Lord, you do it when you're ready. I want it to happen now, but you know when the best time actually is. Ken, you had a comment. Yeah, I just wanted to say that I think this is one of the greatest problems of mankind, especially Christians, of course, that uh, we pray to God for whatever comes up that we may want or need or think we need, and we expect an answer by Australia Post time within a few today. days, you know. <laughs> and unfortunately, we cannot see the big picture. There's other things happening out there uh, around about and circumstances going on that we have no idea about. But all we can see is God hasn't answered our prayer and sometimes we give up and sometimes we get uh, concerned and downhearted. And, but we, uh, I, I think this is another area where our faith has to see us through and realise that God has everything in control and things will be done his way in his time. Ken, that's a very good comment. Um, I could see hands up everywhere. Just one comment before we come to Len and uh, Lydia, and that is that in God's timing, I think it helps us to learn patience and it helps us to learn that his hand is over everything because when you actually see an answer to prayer or an answer to something you've been praying about for a long time and let's face it, he's prayed for four months this is not a situation where he physically is embarrassed this is a situation where the whole nation is disgraced and God's name is being disgraced and through all of that He's still praying. He's still saying, Lord, do something. This term, remember, do you know how many times it comes up in Nehemiah? Seven times. Remember me, even in chapter 13, three times in chapter 13, when we get to it later in our study at some other time. Len. God is not on eBay. And I'm, what I mean by this is that um, if you want something on eBay, you um, look at what you want and you go and order it pay for it and along it comes but I don't think it works just like this God isn't this giant shopkeeper and God I want this okay God gives you that I think the important thing and this was the case with Nehemiah uh, that we as Christians should be committed to the Lord we might put requests to him but it's on the um promise that when we are committed to him he is likely to answer our prayer if we ask for the things that he can give but our first thing should be God um, I belong to you yes. I'm, I'm your person and I'll leave things in your hands 
to be dis- done at your discretion, not the other way around. God, I want this, I want that. Gimme, gimme, gimme. But Len, too often our prayers are like that, aren't they? They're gimme, gimme, gimme prayers. I suppose. Uh, Lydia, you had a in, comment. In Nehemiah's beautiful prayer, we observe here that it's a beautiful composition, his composition when he's praying, and uh, he's not afraid to claim God's promises. So first of all, uh, he acknowledged God that you are great, and uh, he's, uh, he have mercy, and uh, he grants prosperity on his mercy, and after he's pleading with, with, with God to hear his prayers, and he confess his sins, and uh, the whole people's sins, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, also he encounters God, and he says, God, as uh, in verse 8, remember God, remember, remember your promises, and uh, he encountered <coughs> God in saying this, that God, 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 God never forgets this, but he encounters God and he says, Lord, God, remember that you gave a promise and this promise is based on the condition. We know that we, we, we went astray, the whole, your people went astray, but you said, if you return to me and obey my commandments, I will gather yes. you from wherever you are. Yes. So I observe this, that uh, when Nehemiah talked to God, and he asked for success, and he received success. Uh, further on, when he talked to to uh, the king, so after the king asked mm-hmm. him why mm-hmm. was he sad. Yes, we'll get to that in a, yeah? in a second. Thank, thanks, okay. Lydia. No, no, you're on the right track. Yes. Well, just while we're talking about prayer, there are some prayers that God cannot answer. For example, I've been praying for some people for years and years and years that they will see the light and come to the Lord and commit themselves to him, accept the sacrifice of Jesus for themselves. But God cannot force them to do that. No, he can't. As soon as he forces them, he becomes a tyrant. So um, there's the difference between Satan and God. Satan uses measures to force people to accept his particular um, ethics, if I could call them that, God will never force because he's given us free will. He will encourage, mm. but not force. And so that's important, I believe, as we approach God and realizing that when we pray for other people, that God cannot force them to do that and he may not be able to answer my prayer. Yes. That's a good point. I'd like, um, Ken, would you be able to read Luke 11 and verse 13 for me? Luke 11 and verse 13 is a very interesting text because as you were speaking, Len, and also Lydia before you, it occurred to me that uh, what should we be asking for today in 2019 from God? Nehemiah was asking for power, for strength, for the ability to see the project that had fallen into disrepair. And if you actually study, it had been something like 15 or 20 years since any real work had been done on the walls, the gates, or even the temple. The temple service was not actually functioning properly because the people who were connected with it weren't living in Jerusalem. 
And because of all the operations and all the opposition, there was all this sort of problem. But what does Luke 11 verse 13 say? Because I believe it's a promise for us today and for our listeners. Again, we're reading from the King James Version uh, in verse 11. If the son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a servant? Okay. Uh, keep going there. Okay. Uh, 12. Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So what should we be asking for today? We should be asking for the Holy Spirit. And this... Jesus suggests here that God is reluctant to do it and is sitting there with arms folding saying, you're not asking enough, you're not sincere enough. He's saying, if you are willing to give gifts to your children, and we all are, he's saying, how much more is your Heavenly Father willing to give you the Holy Spirit if you ask for him? And that's what you were saying, Len, earlier on. Did you have a comment? There are plenty of people who ask for the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, I think a lot of these people expect that when the Holy Spirit is given to them, they will be able to do what would otherwise be impossible. One of those big things these days is speaking in tongues. I don't believe that we should ask the Holy Spirit in order to be able to speak in tongues. No. I think we should ask for the Holy Spirit that our lives be guided by the Holy Spirit, that we become, that we are committed to the Lord not just for this showy thing of speaking in tongues. Personally, I think, and some of you listeners may speak in tongues, but I question whether some of those speaking in tongues is from God or if it's from another source. I I think that's a fair comment. Even though our study today isn't specifically on the Holy Spirit, a deep study of the subject of the Holy Spirit will reveal to you that the Holy Spirit is given to people to make us useful, useful in God's service. Yes. That's primarily the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes. All right. Um, We've looked at uh, chapter one almost as an afterthought. Right at the end of the chapter, he says what? I was the king's (laughs) cupbearer. It's almost as though (laughs) here's what I'm concerned about. This is what I did about it. I prayed about it. And notice at the end of chapter 1, we still don't have an answer. God has not answered. No. Has he? No. Not yet. Even though we've gone into, as you did, Lydia, so well, we've gone into his prayer, there's been no answer. It almost seems as though the prayer is going as far as the ceiling. Mm. Nothing has happened. And then uh, almost as an afterthought at the end of the chapter, he says, I was the king's cupbearer. Now, we do know historically that when he did eventually get to Judah, he didn't just have a holiday for a couple of weeks. He was there for 12 years, 444 BC to 432 BC. Um, I don't think the king expected him to be away quite that long. I wonder whether he had extensions of leave granted to him as he went along. But when you get into chapter 2, this is where it starts to become exciting. So we start to see some things happening. Somebody mentioned earlier on that he came in before the king and he didn't look very happy. (laughs) Now, was that a good thing, Len, or not? (laughs) Well, I think it was because it um, brought about some very interesting results. I'll read it to you. Sure. Chapter 2, verse 1. 
In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, um, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I, I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Now, the king was pretty perceptive there. He was. Um, uh, Nehemiah wasn't just sick. He didn't have the flu or something like that. But he had some emotional things to deal with. Emotional turmoil. Yes. Mm. And this showed. Yes. And the king picked up on it. He did, indeed. Lydia, I think you had a comment. Yeah, but because Nehemiah suffered in his heart for more than four months, so by uh, mourning and fasting and praying, of course, now the king could see his face that he was very sad. So... What were normally the consequences of being sad before a king? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Len's, Len's making a uh, lateral movement with his hand. <laughs> yes, you're not allowed to be sad in front of the king unless you have a good being reason. Being in the court of the king was meant to be the fullness of joy. Exactly. And this man is going around with a gloomy expression, so yeah. much so that the king picks up on it and says, look, you're not sick. I know that. So what's the problem? Yep. Obviously, there's something going on here that's affecting here <laughs> that uh, I want to know about. Mm. Can I <laughs> Glenn, go on did you? Yes, you may no, go, like on. go on. on. <laughs> All right. So the king said, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. Mm -hmm. Nehemiah then says, I was very much afraid, probably afraid for his life or his position. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then comes something which I find remarkable. The king says, what is it you want? In other words, if you want something mm -hmm. to uh, remedy this situation, I'm here. I'll give it to you. Well... That's Could you call it the open, open checkbook policy? <laughs> well, it, it was, <laughs> but it, it also shows how much confidence the king had, the king had mm. in Nehemiah. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you, Len. Lydia? Now the door is opening now. The door is opening, The yes. door is opening. And uh, uh, when the king asked him, what is it you want, it says here in the Bible that in verse 4, then I pray to God, of heaven and I answered the king so to me this verse rebuked me in my heart because just straight away in his mind he he done a little prayer to God mm -hmm. you know before mm -hmm. speaking to the king how it's long, very how, interesting how, how long a period of time would that have taken exactly. the king has asked the question yes it's not as though he's saying to the king yeah. king uh, can I go into the other room there and have a bit of a think about exactly. it and then I'll come back and tell you. Yeah. So he said a little prayer. <clears throat> Ken, did you have a comment on that? I think there's a... There's is a it more than just simply being quick on his feet? Uh, the I king think is now saying, what do you want? Yes, Kill me. Yes. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's just the way uh, Nehemiah was. He was always in touch with God. He was always praying to God. So uh, before he spoke, it only takes a quick second for us to have a thought, as yes. we all know. But there's some absolutely amazing things about this story that uh, firstly, of course, as we said, uh, Nehemiah, uh, the 
the the king was uh, a pagan king yet in all these uh, verses that we read um, Nehemiah gives him complete um, what's what I'm looking for uh, respect yes and and uh, doesn't go about him but on the other side of the coin bearing in mind again that uh, Nehemiah was a Christian that the king has also given him respect and also must have allowed him to about mm. go about his Christian duties without yes. interfering so it's yes. really interesting it's yes. uh, yes. a story that I believe I wonder for ourselves and we always need to apply these Bible studies to ourselves and share them with our listeners I wonder when we find ourselves in situations where this like this occurs where the king says what do you need what do you actually want is our first thought a prayer to heaven Lord guide me <clears throat> What should I ask for? Because we know that in the New Testament, James says in one place, you don't get because you ask wrongly. Mm-hmm. The things you ask for are the wrong things. So it's always safe. In fact, it's the only safe policy is when we're asked things like this is to say, Lord, what should I ask for? Mm. Is that a fair comment? Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Um, I'd just like to <coughs> add to that, Brent. And sometimes yeah, sure. we, do, we do pray for certain things that that perhaps at the time we believe we need it could be job or something like this and sometimes w- that doesn't happen and we're really disappointed but a short time later something better comes along that is a very good point Ken. <clears throat> do we all agree on that as a yes, panel yeah, it certainly happens sometimes times. <laughs> something better sometimes something much better <clears throat> comes <throat> along than what we actually prayed for Lynn. well i want to go on with the story a little bit you may <laughs> I'm reading from the second part of verse 4, Then I prayed to the God of heaven. We've just discussed this. It would have been a very quick prayer. Uh (laughs) And I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. In other words, he's saying... um, we don't have any project managers over there. The buildings, it's all laps. <clears throat> Let me go to be the project manager so that the work can go ahead. Now, remember, Artaxerxes had, although he had given permission for the city to be rebuilt, he had stopped it Correct. because of political trouble in the, with the surrounding nations. Now, Nehemiah is asking him, who already had the king's favour, let me go to rebuild it. I, I wonder how the king took this on a personal basis, the basis between him and Nehemiah. He probably would have been a bit disappointed. I think he liked Nehemiah and liked Nehemiah's presence, but he liked him so much that he would be prepared to be without him for the time when Nehemiah was away. That, that, is, a, that is a good point. I just wanted to, to add to that again, if you put yourself in their shoes, especially those of the king, we must remember that this really, Nehemiah was really the king's right-hand man yes. and served a very, very important uh, role. Uh, position, role. Mm-hmm. And, and here the king, uh, it seems to be at a, at a minute's notice, is saying, that's okay, Nehemiah, you can go. So he was really, in a, in a way, cutting off his right arm, uh, in a sense. Yes, Lydia, did you? Uh, I observed here that God placed in Nehemiah's heart the burden to rebuild the Jerusalem. Yes. I yes. don't know. I mean, we don't know if he had the right skill or if he had 
the right profession to that to do that mm. but Good because point. God impressed him so deeply and he done <coughs> his part for so many months to fast and pray and connect with God so God chose him to be his instrument in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem okay and why was God able to do that because he was fully surrendered exactly he yep. was willing to do whatever God wanted. Correct. And the important point here is what he's telling the king is that I'm not going back to check it out and make a few adjustments. I'm going back to f finish the project. Correct. What is the project? Rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, rebuilding the gates of Jerusalem. And in addition, we find in chapter 2, we'll get to it, where he um, requisitioned, if you will, timber to build his own house and also another house attached to the temple of the Lord as well. Len, you had your hand up. Well, the thing that strikes me with this particular aspect of what we're studying today is that God has his man or woman, as the case may be. I think of other people throughout history who've made a huge difference. Just one person will have started a whole revival or has started something... I think of Moses. God had his man in Moses. God had his man in Joseph. Look how many people benefited because of Joseph's faithfulness. That's right. Here we now have another story of the people who of who people who benefited because of Nehemiah's commitment and willingness and God had his man in Nehemiah. Mm. Um, perhaps I should add to that. And it's a question. Does God have his man or woman in you yes, or in me? Yes, that, that is the question I was going to ask, uh, Lynn, so you've <laughs> done it for me. Can someone read verse 7 and verse 9 of chapter 2, please? First um, of all, verse 7, and let's pull that one apart. I would like to, to read also verse 6 before. Yes, and you can do He that. said, then the <coughs> king with the queen sitting beside him asked him, how long would you, your, your journey take? And when will you get back? Mm -hmm. It pleased the king to send me, so I set the time. I want to comment here a little bit. So the king willed to send him away, but and the queen, they they just thought about it. How long will you be away? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. even Nehemiah didn't know how long he'll be away. And we found out later on that he was away for 12 years. That's correct. So it yeah. means the king needed him by his yeah. side. Yeah. What's he was an important yeah. person. Yeah. Good, good point, uh, Lydia. What's also important about this statement here is that it was, under most circumstances, not normal for the queen to be sitting with the king. Exactly. You only have to go back to the story of Esther. Correct. Look yeah. what happens if you go in before the king and you're not yeah. invited. And uh, it says so. that uh, maybe sometimes they were in a private... Uh, Could this have been a case of God arranging this so that the yeah. Queen was there at the same time as the King and the influence was on both of them, both the Queen and the King, Correct. to, yeah. um, to facilitate what needed to be done. Yeah, so now here... Uh, anyway, if you could read verse seven for, uh, 6 yeah. and 7 for us, thanks. Ne Nehemiah goes, goes, yeah, goes further, and uh, now he opens the door to ask for favoritism. So it says, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? Okay, just stop there for a minute. There's something very important here. Where did the opposition come from? 
from the high uh, officials yeah. of the of the reign over there. Yes, mm. through the territory through which he was passing. Exactly. In other words, he asked for letters from the king to show that he had the king's full authority Correct. to undertake this venture. Is that right, Len? Yes, yes it is. Uh, it was Did safe. you have a comment on it? Uh, what happened during the Reformation years where various Protestants were given what's called safe conduct mm. yes. in order to reach the desired destination. Sometimes those safe conducts weren't honoured. No, they weren't. But nobody, but nobody would dare to um, disobey the king's orders because their life would be in peril. So uh, if, for example, Nehemiah was captured while on his way to Jerusalem by there would be somebody else. <laughs> yes, there would be serious consequences for whoever captured him mm. or well, authorised it. Good point. All right, Ligia, can you read verse 8, 9 and 10? We're going to go that far and then... Uh, now, the second request, second of his request, <coughs> it says, and may I have a letter to Asaf? keeper of the king's forest so mm -hmm. he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy and because the gracious hand of my God was upon me the king granted my requests. Alright, before you read any further, do you find that encouraging? The gracious hand of my God was upon me. Exactly. My version says the good hand of my God was upon me. What does yours say, Ken? Uh, mine says, and the hand of my God was upon me. Len, what does yours say? Well, the same as what did you Same read. as what did you say. The gracious hand <laughs> of my God. Uh, perhaps I could make a quick comment here. You may. God is a God of grace, and he offers freely salvation for those who choose to accept it. But he's also gracious in giving us other things. And this was a case here where that was acknowledged by Nehemiah, that it was due to the influence of God on the king, though the king mightn't have even known about it, that the king eventually granted him his requests. I think that's important because when we know that the good hand, the gracious hand of God is upon us, we can go forward with confidence, yes. can't we? yes. Did he go forward with confidence? Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, we'll find out. Anyway, um, Lydia, thank you for reading. I will get uh, Len, actually, to read verse 9 and 10, if that's okay. You've read 7 so, and 8 for us. I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. Now, I Wise find, precaution. I mm. find this really interesting. If they didn't want to believe this single man, Nehemiah, perhaps with a few servants. And a letter. Nehemiah, yes. Uh, saying, well, this is, um, this is a false letter. It's um, counterfeit. Nehemiah could point out, just look out the window. And there would, all, there would be this small army who would back up. The fact that he was, he, was on a message, he was on a mission sent by the king. Yes, good good point. A very good point, actually. Um, what was their response in verse 10? <laughs> predictable, I would have <laughs> They didn't like it. When <laughs> Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites, which is what 
exactly the opposite. They were against the Israelites and they tried to influence the king against them. Now the king is showing his support for the Israelites and disregarding what they wanted. Mm. It's very... (laughs) It's it's very interesting, isn't it? How how God can turn around situations that appear to be hopeless. When you go back to chapter one and verse four, and you read in verse three the bad news that he received, it's horror. <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> um, you almost sense Nehemiah tearing out his hair, so to speak. <laughs> by saying, what are we going to do? The the place is just a a shambles. God's holy city has not been rebuilt. The temple services are not operating as they should. (laughs) And people can't have safety as they come into the city and go out of the city. All of this is at risk. Now, as a result of this request and the granting of this letter, we find that as he approaches Judah again, through hostile territory, <coughs> passes on these letters to Sanballat and Tobiah, and I think there was another guy called the Arab, wasn't there? That yes. we, we Timon. Yeah, when you look geographically at where they were situated, Sanballat was north of Jerusalem, Tobiah was east of Jerusalem, and the other guy was south of Jerusalem. Now, west of Jerusalem is the Mediterranean Sea when you eventually get there. What do we learn from this? We learn that they were totally surrounded by enemies. Mm. Mm. So what, what, what are some of the lessons we can bring from this? Well, just before we bring a lesson, I, uh, I said Timon, but mm. the Arab was uh, Geshem. That's right. Geshem. Um, Sanballat was a horror night interesting person. And I I think if we just break this into English, uh, it's always a horror (laughs) with him around. (laughs) It was. (laughs) Yes. But um, with we as Christians are surrounded by enemies. Enemies who are trying to put forward false doctrine, put forward false ideals. Um, even our government sometimes produce false laws things that are not really good for the people so in the Christian life we are surrounded by enemies that doesn't mean to say we're against the rest of the world but quite often the rest of the world is against Christians and anyone who takes on the name of Christ so um, it's something to be aware of that being a Christian is not always um, a bed of roses because there are things that we have to contend with. Um, And I think it's therefore very important to have a king on our side. And I'm not talking about King Artaxerxes. I'm talking about the king of the universe. Mm. Amen. That, that is a good point. In fact, didn't Jesus say that um, if we followed him, we would have persecution? We would have opposition? Yes. Correct. He said expect it. <coughs> he didn't say it'll come on you suddenly. He said you can expect it. Now, each of us here <coughs> come from different backgrounds as we've come to know the Lord. But I'm sure if we had Len another hour and a half, we could share testimonies of how the devil has worked 
to try and prevent us from following the Lord. I'm sure, Ken, I've heard your story on air at one stage of how you came to know the Lord. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that God is still in control and if we, if we follow him faithfully, I remember just a couple of weeks ago I was um, involved with the baptism in the southeast of this state and I've been corresponding with uh, several of the people who were baptised since and <laughs> the changes that are taking place in their lives and in the lives of those around them as a result of their baptism. But also, I'm being frequently reminded that the devil is hard at work and, and she's saying to me, the devil is working hard and I'm seeing evidences of his work all around. What we've got here is, I would imagine Sanballat and Tobiah, to use an Australian expression, were spitting chips yes. <laughs> because they have had 20 years of being able to frustrate the progress of rebuilding Jerusalem. Now we have a man here who's on a mission. He's not on a mission just to make a few, few statements and go back to uh, Shushan, I think it was, or Susa. He's here to finish the job. Whenever you find that, and I think there's a very good spiritual application for us today, we are in this world to finish a job. Christ said, I've given you all power in heaven and on earth. You have to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, all power has been given unto me in heaven and earth. In other words, we can go no matter what the opposition. Amen. Yes. I think uh, just real, real briefly, one of the absolutely amazing things I find about God is that he never gives up on people. No. Uh, we will give up on him or people will give up on him, but he never gives up trying no. to save people. And that is absolutely astounding. Mm. As we come towards the conclusion of our study today, uh, we find something interesting. When we come to verse 11 down to the rest of the chapter, and I don't think we'll have time to read it all, but I want someone to read verse 11 and 12. Ken, uh, Len, could you read chapter 2, verse 11 and 12? I'd love to. Nehemiah, uh. please, and perhaps comment on it. <clears throat> okay. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days... I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. In other words, he was the only one on a horse or a donkey. I mm -hmm. think he probably would have rode a horse. Yeah, maybe keep reading. Yeah. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and Dungate examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night examining the wall. Finally I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Hmm. What do we make of all of that, Len? Why did he do this in secret? Well, I guess they may have said, oh, you can't do that. The, um, the surrounding nations will be here and they'll be plaguing us. But on the other hand, he had a good look he checked out what work needed to be done in order to be able to formulate a plan that the wall could be successfully rebuilt, which I think is good sense. You need to plan 
what you're going to do first. We sh- I don't think we as Christians <coughs> should just do things ad hoc. No. I think we, sh- we yeah. should reason things out. Jesus commented about this. He said, suppose somebody wants to, uh, to build a tower. Doesn't he sit down and work out the cost first? And as Christians, we also <coughs> need to consider what is the cost or benefit, on the other hand, for me to commit my life to the Lord. And I think this is a little lesson in itself about decisions that we, life decisions that must be made. Mm. What is the cost? What are the benefits? Where do I stand on that? Yeah, Lydia, before we come to you, just a quick uh, comment on that, Len, and thank you for raising that. There is a text in Scripture, I think in the book of Matthew, that says, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his own soul? So whilst Christ tells us, I believe, to count the cost of following him, which is everything, he also says count the cost of not following him, Mm -hmm. which means you lose everything. In one you gain everything, in the other you lose everything. Lydia, did you have a comment? Yes, in verse 11 it says that I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men and he he prepares for his tasks on his own. So, do you what do you think he has done in those three days before he set out for his tasks in secret well three days is always very um a very important time in scripture isn't it i think what do you think i think he pleaded with god in prayer and again in fasting in prayer for god to give him the right knowledge Mm-hmm. what to do and where to start and how to start mm-hmm. I think he didn't work on his own Yes. so he again pleaded for God's mm-hmm. help and wisdom in this and I think for three days he had time to talk to God and plan with God together mm. do you think that it was also a time of rest remember yeah. he's been Could on a be, long journey yeah. and in this, this rest, journey has probably taken correct, several months correct yes I like what Ledger just said mm. so See. do I because here he was doing, um, if you like, the Lord's work. Therefore, when you do the Lord's work, just as we do here on air, we pray for guidance. Yes. The message that comes over in these studies will be of benefit to those who listen. Yes. Thank you, Len. Verses 19 and 20 uh Ken, could you read those? They're the last two verses of Nehemiah as we finalise our study for today. Sure. Uh, Starting in verse 19. But when Sabalat the Hororite and Tobiah the servant, the Amorite, and Jism the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them the God of heaven he will prosper us therefore we his servants will arise and build but ye have no portion or right nor memorial in Jerusalem wow there's some important uh, things in there can anyone share those with us in the short time we've got what is he saying to these men when they're laughing him to scorn he says the God of heaven will help us rebuild Mm. Len? Well not only that they were laughing at him and said well the task that um, your undertaking is impossible and that's quite often the case it's impossible in our own strength but with the, st- the strength of the Lord things that may seem impossible will become possible 
Um, there is a text, I won't refer to the uh, where it's found. With man, it is impossible. With God. But with God, all things are possible. Yes. Yeah. That's I, true. I think real quickly, Brenton, also that we have to remember the temple hadn't been touched and I think it was 20 years. So if you can Correct. imagine the building lying idle for 20 years, it'd be pretty weeds around it and the yes. mess would be completely a disaster. Yeah. Yes. It's, it, it's interesting, though, that when you get to verse 20, it says, what, what was his response to these men? We will arise and build, but you have no heritage. We know what heritage means, normally. You have no what else did he say? No right or memorial in this work. Basically, he's saying because you worship false gods or because you have what's called a syncretistic religion, which is a mixture of truth and falsehood, you will not be involved in this program at all. And I would like to share with you a comment and then we will uh, come to our, our final uh, point for the, this day's study. This is a statement written by someone who I believe was very wise. We have nothing to fear for the future, except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. Anyone like to comment on that? <laughs> Time's up. Well, my, says. my comment <laughs> is yes. Okay. Lydia, would you like to offer prayer for us in closing, please? Holy Father in heaven, thank you so much for the example of Nehemiah that we studied today. Father, please help us to stay close to you in prayer, to claim your promises, and help us to become prayer warriors as Nehemiah was. Please bless us with your Holy Spirit for our lives to be guided and moved to actions as Nehemiah did with his people. Please set us apart to be your useful, committed instruments for you to fulfill your plan and mission on this earth. Please arm us with your knowledge and promises and certainty of your call to move on ahead carefully and prayerfully in any circumstance trusting in you fully as Nehemiah did and succeed because you have been with him in Jesus precious name Amen Amen, Amen.